Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Happy holidays and welcome to the best of the front row. We've got a special edition for you here and we hope you're enjoying your holiday season. Tom and Keith with you. We are uh, also enjoying our holiday season. So we're going to take a a stroll down memory lane literally with coach Bobby Bowden. We did this interview over the summer and uh, you may have listened to it in in, uh, August, I think is when it aired. But uh, whether you did, uh, even if you did, you'll want to listen again. And if you did not, you certainly want to enjoy this conversation with Coach. It was uh, fascinating, again, to sit down. Remember, uh, you know, I first met Coach Bowden in 1977. We sat down at his house. Uh, We were sitting at the dining room table, just me, you, and and Bobby. Uh, A couple of times, Ann came in and out. A couple of times, telephone rang. We cut those out. But it it was a bit like being at home. And for those that are my age or a little older, uh, I, I remember sitting there listening to Coach Bowden and, and, and just regaling at his memory. Uh, nothing gets past him. Uh, no hearing aids. Uh, he had on reading glasses. Uh, you know, he has all his teeth. <laughs> uh, you know, all the things that we, as we get older, we worry about. He's in great health at that time. And uh, just fascinating to listen to him talk and share. Uh, an unbelievably gifted man. We will uh, cue it up and fire it up and play it for you when we come back. So uh, stay with us and enjoy the best of the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. on the front row and uh, i know you folks are going to enjoy the conversation that we'll have here for you shortly keith and i sat down with uh, coach bobby bowden last week at his house uh and literally if it sounds like uh, three guys around a dining room table having a conversation that's exactly what it was three guys uh around the dining room table at coach bowden's house keith you uh obviously played for bobby very early in his tenure here do you have a, a recollection of when you first met him or maybe what resonated uh the first meeting I had with him was in his office with my mom and dad when I made my official visit. Uh, the Most of the official visits were done during the fall in those days. So we had played a high school game the Friday night before, and mom and, and dad and I got in the car and drove to Tallahassee and had our, our meeting with Coach Bowden. And I remember walking out and my mom turning to my dad and saying, okay, that's settled. <laughs> <laughs> and it really was true though it wasn't in my living room or in my mom's kitchen or our dining room but coach Bowden won over the mom first and everything else fell in place we're going to play this interview uh starting right now so enjoy coach it's good to see you how are you fine doing good still hitting the golf ball around yeah you know i play i play about once a week but uh, if i don't have to be out of town i'll go out and hit balls that's about the only condition that i get are you hitting them well? I hit them straight. They don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> How much are you in and out of town these days? Yes, I spoke in Tallahassee. And tomorrow I've got to speak at a high school. And uh, Saturday I'll speak down in St. Pete. I'm speaking two or three times a week. 
a lot of your travels, Coach, are, are nationwide, though. You're not just, just Florida anymore. No, that's right. No, it's, it's nationwide. I'm in, I'm in two or three national speaking organizations, and they get talks. Like people want a speaker, and they call them, and they call me. So I go wherever they send me. Coach, it's been 40 year, 39 years since you and I first met. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about and, and uh, was curious to t just to pick your brain is I remember getting a letter uh, before my freshman year. Uh, it told me uh, no earrings, uh, no visible tattoos, uh, <laughs> no facial hair. Uh, my hair could not flip out from underneath my helmet. Uh, I need to pay attention to what my mom and dad said and come to camp in shape because <laughs> camp was not where you were going to get in shape. You better be in shape be when you there. get there. Oh, yeah. Um, we fast forward now. Times have changed a little, have oh, yeah. they not? Yeah. Styles change, you know, and uh, naturally the way you dress has changed. But, uh, gosh, yeah, we used to have, can't have any kind of facial hair. You can't have a mustache, can't have a beard. And like you said, you, you, you can't let your hair come out of your helmet, you know, and uh, things like that. And, uh, of course, that's really changed now. Coach Discipline, um, you've always thought your, your boys were your boys when they were under your care. Yeah. Uh, in today's environment with uh, social media and all the attention, the 24-7 news it's hard for a coach to do much with his kids. Plus, you only get 20 hours a week. Yeah, that was yeah. the tail end of your career. That that, yeah. that limitation came yeah. in the tail end of your career. How so did that change what you did? Well, they, they just you know they they kept restricting the coaches more and more, just in football. You know, you can't coach. You can't be with them but 20 hours a week. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. And uh, you, you, it means you had to be super organized to get done what you wanted to, to get done. Did you ever feel like some kids got away from you that maybe you could have had a better influence on if you'd have just had some more time with them? You know, since when we recruited you back in the 70s, you know, then the NCAA says uh, you can only work with them this long. Uh, we're taking away your training table. We're taking away your dormitory. And, buddy, it, you, know, you take, if you got your football team in a dormitory like we had when you were there, we knew where you were. If we said 10 o'clock curfew, we knew you better be there at 10. Now, now your kids are all over town in a lot of the cases, you know. And uh, it, it was, it's much, much harder to keep up with them. I remember, you may have forgotten, but I remember um, I had a couple of my boys, my buddies, that got caught with too many ducks. They went duck hunting, and they had killed too many ducks. Uh, that's a federal offense that in today's environment would be an automatic suspension. Uh, and back then, it was five days of stadiums yeah. at Doak Campbell because you had too many ducks. Uh -huh. um, the world has changed a little bit. The world, when I first started coaching, which would have been back in the 50s, uh, you didn't have all the media coverage that you have now. Uh, back then, if one of your boys got into trouble, it's more likely the police would call you and say, hey, we got one of your boys down here, and he, he did this or that or this. I said, okay, I'll be right down to get him. And that's as far as that would go. Now, then I would take him back and discipline him, maybe make him run the stadium steps four or five times a week at 5 o'clock in the morning or things like that. But now then, when a boy gets in trouble, 
How do you find out? You pick up the paper the next morning and you read read about it, and it's already out of your hands. You know, it's, it it times have changed. I've always wondered, Coach, and this is sort of my two cents on it, but to me, and I won't name names, but when you have a student athlete that was a really good student in the classroom, good representative in the community, the story would sort of go, well, he had a good upbringing, came from a good family. But when you had a kid that got in some trouble, well, then it was the coach's fault because he wasn't keeping him in line. Oh, and, yeah. and this isn't unique to you. This is yeah. just sort of the way the media... That's the way it is. It's the way it is. Does that ever bother you? Uh, yeah, it did uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I think the thing that coaches hate the most is to be accused of something they did, really didn't do. You know, like like you say, blame, blaming a coach because a young man did this. Now, maybe he came from from no family, no mama, no daddy, you know, and there wasn't discipline coming up, and he doesn't know any better. I always felt like if I can keep him for four years, I can get him straightened out. You know what? And, uh, and you know, our, our kids turned out pretty good. How many of them do you keep in touch with now? I mean, uh, you have quite a few players come through from all yeah, your coaching years. Yeah, and I don't keep up with them like I should. I just don't. But every, but a lot of times they'll come to town and call, or they'll come to town and come by the house, you know. And uh, But other than that, I, I, I just read about them. You know the biggest thing that's said about the players about you? What's that? He remembered me. Is that right? Yeah. He remembered me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so and so 30 years ago. I was a second team running back. Yeah. And I saw Coach Bowden and he called me by name. Yeah, that, and, and that's, and that's I'm, I'm so glad I've been able to do that most of the time. Every now and then I'll see one and I'll wonder, what the heck was his name? What was his name? You know, but that doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And the other thing I've found uh, interesting is anytime I bring up a past ball game, you and I were talking before we sat down here about the the 80 Nebraska game. Oh, yeah. I, I can near about bring out any play. Yeah. And you remember it. One of my favorite, that's one of my favorite games of, of my lifetime, really, was the 80 Nebraska game. It'll be second down and 12. A loss of two on that last play. Quinn rolling to the right, wants to throw the ball. He does. It is intercepted by Keith Jones. Jones is inside Nebraska territory. And the Seminoles have a first down at the Nebraska 46. Great play by Jones. Because, number one, we wasn't supposed to do it. Number two, we just got upset the week before by Miami when we went for two and didn't make it, remember? Yeah, because you wouldn't kick it. And that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we started a center who had never played, you know, and we won that dadgum ball game. They, they had us 14 and nothing. I was looking at it the other day. 14 and nothing. We finally get three, and in the second half we shut them out, kicked four field goals and beat them. That's one of the biggest games in Florida State's history because – at that time, people paid no attention to Florida State nationally. And after that game, you could sense it. Who in the world is this Florida State that beat Nebraska at Nebraska? Which back in those days, you don't beat them there. We had a pretty good game after that, if you'll remember as oh, well. We, yeah, beat the number two football team in the nation. Pitt. That Pitt team, Keith, is one of the best teams any of my teams ever lined up against. I, would agree. I think they had 18 guys that went into the pros. And uh, uh, they, were just, they were just a great, great football team. If you had to pin it down to one game, is it the Nebraska game in 80? I think it was probably the most important game in Florida State's history during my time. Because it did put us on the map. And uh, after that, we kind of got the feel, golly, if we can do that, 
you know, one of these days you'll want us a national championship. I've seen uh, or I've read that you said 77 was your favorite season. Still is. Now, I, I, is that because Keith Jones didn't play that year? Because freshmen weren't eligible? I didn't play. You came in that year, didn't you? That was my favorite year because of this. I come to Florida State in 76. They had gone 0 and 11, 1 and 10, 3 and 8. They hadn't had a win, hadn't been to a bowl, hadn't won the games, hadn't beat Florida in 10 years. You know, and so my first year, 76, we had a losing year. But then the next year, which maybe we can be a little bit better, we won bowl games. Went to a bowl game, won the bowl game, ended up 14th in the nation. And that was kind of fun because there was no pressure. People were not expecting it, you know. And uh, that, that got us rolling. Uh, the one thing that I'll remind you that our listeners, older listeners will remember, but most people have forgotten, is the balloons. You remember the balloons? Yeah. Oh, They'd yeah. tie those balloons together, oh, yeah. and they would stretch way up. Oh, yeah. We kicked at 7 o'clock at night with oh, those balloons yeah, and the lights. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It was a different time. And you know what happened to the balloons? Let me tell you what happened to the balloons. Uh, environmental is what I heard. Environmental. Uh, those balloons get up and these ducks choke on them. Maybe the ones my boys shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we had, we had to stop the balloons. What are you most proud of as you look back at your time at FSU? I think the most proud, the proud of is that we won, we won 300 ball games at Florida State. And while I was at Florida State, the only guy that ever did that was Joe Paterno at Penn State. And uh, being able to win that many games at one school, being able to coach there for 34 years, I think those are the things that I remember the most, you know, and a lot of wonderful people. I, I was able to work for so many wonderful athletic directors and presidents that we had at uh, Florida State. And then the kids, the boys you had, just fantastic boys. Plus you got your uh, singing career started with Bernie. <laughs> Yeah, somebody came up with the idea. We're going to get you and, and the president to sing a song, and we're going to get all the coaches in the country to do that, and we'll make us a million dollars selling this Because we're Seminoles of FSU. Yes, we're Seminoles, and we want you. And so Bernie, all he did was hum. I did all the dadgum singing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still waiting for the million bucks. And we're still waiting for the million bucks, right. Yeah, that never showed up. <laughs> a little bit of a walk down memory lane listening to Coach Bout. Not a lot's changed. I mean, it's been several years since I've had conversation with him, but we'll talk about more of those uh, life experiences, including, and this is interesting, conversation about uh, 1990, which Flor- it was the time when Florida State was making the decision SEC, ACC, and the conferences were offering or not offering, and uh, he'll share what uh, he recalls about that time when we come back on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
We continue our conversation with Coach Bowden here on the front row. We pick it up. Bobby recollects back from uh, circa 1990 when it was time for Florida State to join a conference. So we pick up the conversation there. Coach, you're talking about Bernie Sliger, who's uh, remembered so fondly by the entire university community for all that he did at FSU. I want to ask you, especially in today's landscape, where there's all this talk about conference realignment and teams jumping conferences and big news for the ACC with what just happened with an ACC network, what do you recall about 1990 when there was talk of Florida State getting into a conference, leaving independence behind, SEC, ACC, and it seemed like all point, all signs pointed to the SEC, but oh, at yeah, the end of the yeah. day, FSU wound up in the ACC, and here yeah. we are 25 years later. That's exactly right. We had an option. We can join the we – were, we were invited by the SEC. Now, remember, the S, we had applied for membership in the SEC for 30 years and been turned down every year. All of a sudden, they decided to expand, and they wanted Florida State. And so they offered us to join their conference. Well, at the same time, the ACC asked us to join their conference. And they only wanted to take one team. We only want you, you know. And I remember trying to tell them, well, well get Miami. Get us and Miami, you know, because I got to play them anyway. I just soon have them where I know where they are. And uh, <laughs> But they wouldn't do it. No, we just want y'all. The SEC, we want Florida State, but we also want Texas A&M or whoever else they were going to get, right. you know. And uh, I think it was Arkansas at that time. It might, it might have been Arkansas at yeah. that time. But our relationship with the ACC was much closer, and there was more of our administration attached that had attachments to the ACC than the SEC. So we joined, and I think it's the right move. I was going to say, I think most of us would, would say that we could not have chosen better or they could not have picked better uh, yeah. than us entering. I think so. I think definitely. We, we won conference championships for a long time, and we won two national championships during that time. And uh, I don't think we'd have done any better in the Southeastern Conference. I know one thing. It helped with scheduling. We got to have some home games. Oh, gosh, yeah, finally. Because, <laughs> I mean, when you when you came in 76, you inherited, because Florida State was an independent. Yeah. Uh, you inherited, uh, I'm amazed, uh, 30 or 40 or 50 games that were already under contract. Yeah, yeah. Because you had 11 contracts every year. Yeah. There were, there were no conferences. That's right. One of those was five consecutive years at Baton Rouge. Yeah. One of them was five consecutive weeks in 1981 on the road yep. at Ohio State and whoever else. That's right. You always said you'd be willing to play anybody at any time and we'll go to their place if we need to. Yeah. Do you really believe that? Or, or was that just something you said in reaction well, to what it, was handed to it, you? It was something you were handed and you had no choice. So the best thing to do is try to make something optimistic out of it where your players would look forward to it instead of dread it, you know. But gosh, we had four with Nebraska away, five LSU away, two with Michigan away, and then one with Notre Dame away, and uh, three with Arizona State away, you know. And so that looked like death, the death threat. But what it did, it made us, because we won a whole lot more of them than we lost. So there will be two things on your uh, tombstone. At least he played Miami and <laughs> finally some home games. <laughs> Did, oh, that's about the truth. Did, did you take the job and then see that those opponents were lined up, or did you know before you came here that they were on the schedule? Good question. Took the job before I looked at it. Let me tell you, how, <laughs> let me tell you my feelings when I came to Florida State. I'm up at West Virginia. We're, we're successful. We're going to bowl games and winning bowl games, you know. Florida State calls, and we want you to come down there. Did you know I came this close to not going? 
We had four children going to West Virginia University, and we don't want to leave our children. You know what? And at the last moment, Ann and I both agreed, let's go home. That's kind of way. Let's just go home. So we went down there without looking at the schedule. <laughs> and when I got down there, the first thing I looked at, the 1981 schedule, and I said, we must be gone by then. I've got, I've got to be young. I can never, can't get through that. You know what? And, and that's when you almost went to LSU. Is that 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 happened after four years? My fourth year here, we were undefeated. Played, played in the uh, Orange Bowl against Oklahoma, and then then uh, LSU offered me the job there at LSU, and that's a, that's a funny story because Ann and I we were undefeated. Mm-hmm. They were about five two and one or something like that. So they're not having a great year, but we are. And so and I decided, look, if we go, we're going to go to LSU and play them there. If they beat us, we're going to go to LSU because it's a better job. Now, if I beat them, well, gosh, we'll just stay here. You know, we, we, we're going to do as good here. And we did beat them by seven points since I came back and signed a five-year contract, Florida State. And, and here we are all these years later, and people are worried that the football coach at FSU, Jimbo Fisher, might go to LSU. Yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Thought, <laughs> We're having the same discussion <laughs> on is it a better job. <laughs> I thought about the same thing last year when his name kept popping up on that thing, you know. But I think Jimbo has got this job in pretty doggone good shape. I mean, it, it'd be hard for him to better himself. You know what? I think he's got a great job. Last thing about the scheduling, Coach, the book – Whoever wrote it, I want to meet the guy that wrote that book. I've not met him yet. Which one? Now? Whichever book it is that everybody <laughs> quotes. <laughs> you know, you make your best improvement from game one to game two. However, in today's environment, you see so many national teams playing a top-ranked opponent in the kickoff. Your first, and it was a kickoff classic. I think was at the Meadowlands. Yep, two times. Yep, and and usually you didn't want to play that strong of opponent in your opening game because you wanted your kids to get acclimated and everything. Well, now, every other year, two out of every three years, you're playing an opening game against an opponent, and the coaches are now saying, we like those because it keeps your players' attention Uh during mat drills and spring practice summer workouts. That's evolved. That's that's a change in the game over the last couple of three decades. Yeah, that's a good sign. I, that's one thing about it. When you had a great opponent, a good opponent, you don't have any trouble keeping your attention on the boys. You know, if you're opening with somebody and you're favored four touchdowns, that is hard to keep those kids. They, oh, yeah, we, oh, we'll walk out there and beat them. Oh, I don't have to be in as good a shape, you know. And uh, so I think opening with a good, you might as well find out what you got. You know what? If you if you play a week schedule, you might you might play five games before you find you really ain't very good. I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to one here. You're talking about opening with a significant opponent. One year you opened with Miami, and it was 31 nothing Miami. That was oh. my first year at FSU. Oh man! And the Seminole rap existed for about three weeks, and then it disappeared. Except never, never to be seen again. Certainly in this part of the state, maybe down in South Florida and Coral Gables. They're probably still playing it down there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
That was, well, we had had the game of the century the year before against Miami. Mm -hmm. We went for two and didn't get it. They won the national championship. We came out second. All I had to do was kick a dadgum extra point. We were number one in the nation. We would have stayed number one in the nation. You know? But anyway, but, and we had a lot of the kids coming back, and they lost a lot of their good ones. So, boy, we are, oh, we're so overconfident. It is unbelievable. We are the Seminoles of Florida State. We know we're good. Some say we're great. A golden symbol, best in the land. Now, I went to Europe that summer, and I went to Europe. And they made that dadgum, <laughs> they made that record while I was gone. I came back, I, I felt like it's too late to knock it off the market because I was afraid it might hurt our morale somehow. I'd have been better off if I did, you know? And uh, so, so Miami got a hold of that thing and they used it to the full extent. And they, they wore us out that day. You ever have regrets about not kicking that extra point in 87? Uh, if I had it to go for, I would because it had been a national championship. But, you know, back in those days, I had this uh, stupid feeling about uh, tying games. I didn't believe in ties. Well, and to be fair, we didn't have overtime rules. That's right. That's right. Either a tie That's or right. a win or a loss. That's right. Didn't yeah. have overtime like we have nowadays. And I've teased, uh, I've teased you uh, both publicly and privately yeah. about not kicking it in 80 against yeah. Miami. Yeah. You should have learned. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't want you to change the decision. Yeah. Well, and that's the one reason I remember if I'd have kicked it, we'd have won the national championship. I sent the kicking team out there, but my boys were standing around me, and I could see the disappointment in them. I can remember Danny McManus, coach, you're going to kick? You know, and so, so I called timeout, and we went for two, and we missed it. And I went in the locker room and apologized. I said, boys, I apologize to you. I said, I should have They said, oh, no, oh, no, you did the right thing. So. That was that one. But then six or seven years later, one of the greatest wins that was actually a tie was the FSU-Florida game where you did kick the extra point at the end. Won that something. Against the blitz. Touchdown, Florida State. Rock Preston scores the touchdown. My thinking that day, they had us 31-3 to with 10 minutes to go. And I'm thinking about, what am I going to tell I was thinking of excuses already to tell the press, you know, why we got beat on our home field. And, uh, but the funny thing is, at the halftime, they had us 24 to 3. I told the kids, man, we got, got to kick off to them. We got to take the ball away from them and score and get back in this ball game. So we go out there and kick off, and they drive 80 yards, but another touchdown. So it's 31 to 3. And then we score. And score, and old Steve just keeps throwing the darn thing. All he had to do is sit on it and win a game. So anyway, it was, are you going to go for the tie? Yes, because we have come too far to take a chance on losing the game. If, we, if, I'd, have, if I'd have gone for it and didn't make it, that'd been just another blowout of Florida. You know, as far as people are concerned, it'd be another, another defeat by Florida. But I'll tie this thing up. You know, we came back to that 38 yard line and didn't time it in. Had hands. the ball when time was running out. Yeah. Might have been yeah. five consecutive yeah. scores. Yeah. That's amazing looking back at that. You can appreciate as much as anybody, even though you didn't go to school at FSU, but you were here in the 60s with Coach Pete. Yeah. And I think, I don't have the series record in front of me, but I think when you took the head job, FSU only had two wins over Florida in That's its history. That's about right. That's about and, right. And since 1976, present day, uh, it's 
fairly, even FSU might have a slight edge if yeah, you just factor yeah, it in 76. Yeah. Boy, Jimbo's got a tremendous record against Florida and Miami. That's, it's unbelievable. Uh, of course, when we played them, it was game of the century. <laughs> well, and when you were hired, yeah, uh, you, yeah. you were told there were two games that were important. One very important. Yeah. And one a little less important. Yeah, yeah. And you were told, I'm told, that you beat those two, you yeah. can keep your job for a long time. That, that, that was Florida and that, Miami. That was that was key. You, you win the state championship, we'll keep you around for a while. We lost to Florida my first year, and it was on a goal line at the end of the game and didn't get in. They they beat us seven, but we won the next four. That was my group. That was your group. I have a little T-shirt that says, oh, I never lost to Florida. And that's something. That was a, that was a great group of kids. Ooh, boy. Interesting, uh, as you look back and reflect on the way things uh, shook out, Keith, uh, you know, you made a comment that, and, and Bobby agreed, that I don't think anybody would second-guess the ACC decision. Uh, I think in light of the ACC network news that came a couple weeks ago, maybe that's the case, but there certainly has been a, a lot of folks that would have preferred FSU and the SEC over the years. I think when you sit down and do the numbers on it, though, I, I don't think you can argue it, ton. I think the numbers speak for themselves, but I'll go back to the bigger picture, and, and you know, people don't like talking about this per se but when when florida state went into the acc they were the big fish and 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 they kind of brought everybody up with them you know we've talked about alabama four national titles in the last seven years and they've kind of drugged the rest of the acc though sec's been very good everybody else still competing with alabama well when florida state came into the league from a football standpoint everybody had to raise their program and that's why we sit here now 25 years after the fact with clemson and north carolina virginia tech with a new coach and miami resurgence with mark rick and and the whole conference was better because florida state brought everybody else with them well if you look back at that quarter century since fsu joined the acc in 92 in terms of competition alabama won the national title that year and so since 92 alabama's won five titles florida state's won three florida's won three and I think Nebraska's won three. And then after that, you drop down a tier, Ohio State and LSU with two. I mean, so you look at the last quarter century, it's hard to find fault with something that puts you tied for second in terms of national titles. Plus, I think positioning-wise, as you go into 2020 and beyond, um, you know, everybody, uh, the ACC included, is going to benefit from, uh, you know, the realignment. And, and it's just going to be exciting to see what happens. All right, more of that conversation with Coach Bobby Bowden. We'll come back right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the front row and pleased that we can bring you the continuation of our uh, sit-down interview with Coach Bobby Bowden. Let's talk a little bit about Jimbo and not the job he's done. We'll get to that, but. When you first remember meeting him, and obviously he was with Terry, yeah. but I know he came and would work the Bowden quarterback camps, and uh, there probably were hundreds of coaches that did that. So yeah. I don't know if he stuck out along the way or if it was Terry that said, hey, this guy's pretty sharp, or yeah. what you recall about that. Well, the, yeah, the, my first – because I coached at West Virginia when he was growing up. And, of course, I didn't know him then. But then he, he goes to Salem College up in West Virginia where my son Terry's coaching, plays quarterback from him. And uh, Terry used to tell me about him, and he was he was an exciting football player. And so then Terry comes to Sanford University as head coach, and he brings Jimbo with him one more year of eligibility. 
So Jimbo comes down and plays for him. Jimbo's player of the year in the nation. And Terry goes 10-1, and one, I think. You know, he took over a team that hadn't won a game. Wins, he wins 10 right off the bat. And then, so then he hires Jimbo. Probably started him off as a graduate assistant, but let him coach his quarterbacks. So he hired, but they ended up hiring him at, at Sanford University. Then Terry goes to Auburn. He takes him down there to coach his quarterbacks. And Terry used to always tell me what, that he thought he was going to be a great coach. This kid's going to be a great coach, you know. And then I used to have, uh, we used to have a football camp at Florida State. Then I had one up in uh, Auburn when Terry was in Auburn where we, we called the Bowden Academy. All my sons coached it. And Jimbo would come and work with us, you know. So that's, that's where I first really began to know Jimbo. And uh, so I kept up with him. And then, of course, uh, when we hired him, he's, uh, he's the only guy we offered a job. In fact, Terry did all the footwork on that thing, you know. I mean, I, I said, Terry, get me Jimbo Fisher. So Terry called, worked, worked, worked out everything contract with him. So we were fortunate to have him. And there's a lot of people out there that think it's the reverse. There's a lot of people that said Terry came to you and convinced you to hiring that he was not your first choice. No, that, that's a story that's out there. Yeah, that one's not correct. I don't remember. I, now I did. I, I did. I did look at some other guys. I looked at the, the, the guy coaching offense at Alabama. What's his name? Was head coach at Southern Cal. Got fired at Tennessee. Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. I had him on my list. I had a, I had a couple of other guys pretty good, but I, Jimbo was the only one I made contact with, and that was through Terry. Well, and then same, same thing on Trickett, by the way. Right. You know, after the transition, and you had said this during your coaching days that you didn't want to cast a shadow over whoever followed you. Oh yeah. And and you didn't do that uh, yeah. with Jimbo, and you yeah. don't do it to this day. But yeah. I'm curious, behind the scenes, do you have much interaction with Jimbo? Do you go over to FSU at all? Do you guys no, talk? No, I don't. I, I I run into Jimbo a lot, and I'm I'm, I'm I really love Jimbo. He's he's kind of like a son. He, he came up with my sons. He's kind of like a son to me, you know. And, uh, but here's what happened. When I, I go to Florida State, I mean to West Virginia, and I follow Jim Carlin. In fact, Jim takes me up there as his offensive coordinator. <clears throat> First year we won three, next year we won five, next year we won seven, next year we won nine, and a bowl. Then Jim leaves. So I get the head coach. All I heard was, why don't you do it like Jim? Why don't you do it like Jim does? Well, if I did, if I got beat, well, Jim wouldn't have done that. I got so tired of hearing that. It really hurt our relationship. And I always said that when I leave here after 34 years, I'm getting out of town. And if I had to leave, I would. I'd go to Panama and say, I can't get early. She ain't going to leave here. You know, <laughs> she ain't going to leave here. And so that's the reason I've definitely stayed away because I know how people are. I mean, as long as he's winning, okay, nobody was saying. But if he started losing, oh, they'd start getting on Bobby. Well, Biden. you had some real life things going on. You had Bill Peterson yeah. doing the color analyst on the radio of the games that you did. Sure did. You had Mudra living down in Sop Choppy or wherever he was living. Sure did. Uh, and, I mean, had, you, you had real live people there involved. Were, there were, when I came to Florida State, there were four former head coaches living, living in Tallahassee. <laughs> that wasn't in the fine print either. You found <laughs> that, that out later. I, I, that wasn't written in either. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, for those that are listening that have been in Tallahassee, as long as you are longer, there's two, 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 two things that are unrelated. Well, they're related to football, but unrelated, I'm going to mention to you. Uh, number one is I remember my recruiting visit, and you and Ann had us out here at the house. You used to be able to do dinner for the recruits. That's right. And I remember that big old oak tree 
in your front yard. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember that oak tree being around for about 30 years. It's gone now. Yeah, yeah. You miss that oak tree like I miss that oak tree? <laughs> I miss that oak. Ann and I moved here because of that oak tree. You know, it was a. It must have been 100 years old because it died. And uh, it, it, it set this house out from all the rest. And uh, so we were here. We, this We've lived here 40 years now. And it's probably been gone 10. It's probably been gone 10. But that was the feature of this house. And one other story, I've never talked to you about this, I don't know if you know this, but one uh, Emerson Eugene Deckerhoff took an interview in Tallahassee and took a radio job in 1971-2-3, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, calls his wife Ann, says, I got a job. She says, well go find us a house. So he goes and finds a house. That's when he was written. Goes back, serves his two-week notice, comes back. Ann goes, I don't like this house. So he had to talk his way out of the lease, get his money back. Yeah. Rents another house. They set up shop. The boys are there. About two weeks after setting up shop in that second house, his neighbor comes over and introduces himself. Gene says, well, nice to meet you. I, I work at the university. I, I sell advertising for WTAL. And by the way, I just got announced as the radio announcer for Florida State Athletics. His neighbor goes, athletics? Neighbor athletics? Wow, that's amazing. You know, boy used to live here. was a coach at Florida State. You know, did you know he moved into your house? Yeah, sure did. That I is one of the I most did, bizarre. I didn't know it at the time. That is one of the yeah. most bizarre, <laughs> unbelievable stories. Maple, Maple, Maplewood Street. Yeah, he. Yeah, Ann and I lived there for three years when I was an assistant coach with Bill Peterson. Then we left, and then Deckoff told me later on that he moved into my house. That's unbelievable. <laughs> he thanked me for the grass. <laughs> Coach, I know you grew up uh, in Birmingham on the Bear, and, and Notre Dame was huge, obviously, and Frank Leahy and all that. What did you take away from your time with Bill Peterson? I wasn't, I wasn't here when Bill was here, but I don't know that I've heard you talk about sort of the progressive offense that he had in the yeah. 60s and what you took from I, it. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I took with me was the uh, pro passing attack. When Bill Peterson was here, he tried to copy the pros. He did a pretty good job of it. Uh, we used a professional two wide outs, two split backs, th throw up pocket passing, and, and nobody did that. Nobody did that back in those days. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of our assistant coaches was, I, I don't think know if we can win with this. I'm not sure if we can win with it. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of speculation around the country about Florida State. At that time, Florida State, John Bridgers at Baylor, and a team in Arkansas, Anyway, there were three of us that threw the ball over all over the country. And that's the biggest thing I learned from Bill Peterson was the passing game. Talk about some more, some more coaches, uh, one of them being the head coach at Miami now, Mark Richt. Yeah. <laughs> he was your quarterback coach. He was your offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't remember the whole time. Keith actually hosted him on his recruiting visit, which he'll tell you, which is why he ended up at Miami. I, I didn't oh. do a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he... I tried to recruit him out of Boca Raton, Florida, and high school. And I remember when he came up and visited, I remember us exactly, he and I talking. And I liked, I liked him. He was just a nice kid, you know what? And, uh, and so we offered him a scholarship, but anyway, he decided to go to the University of Miami. And so he started against us in 82, we beat him, you know, and I, after the game, he and I shook hands and things like that. So, so, uh, so he was going to LSU as a graduate assistant. And he came through Tallahassee. And he came by my office, and I talked to him being a GA with me. So he became a GA, and I let him coach the quarterbacks, you know. 
So he was a, a GA for a couple of years, <clears throat> and then then we hired him, and uh, he started coaching our quarterbacks. And then when we lost Brad Scott, we made him offensive coordinator. He did a tremendous job at Florida State. Well, what, what people may forget though is he left for a year. Oh yeah. During that time frame. He sure did. And yes, he, he, he did. He was so homesick and wanting to get back. Right. He came and begged you for a that's, job. That's exactly right. He, and his wife was from here. Correct. So they wanted to come back. Where did he go? I forgot. He went to East Carolina. East, East Carolina. Carolina is where yeah. he went. Yeah. yeah. So then he came back, and we were able to hire him back here, and everything turned out good for him. And then uh, after the the 2000 season, he went to uh, Georgia. Yeah. Do yeah. you ever you ever think you'd hear? Okay, you can average 9.7 wins a game over 15 years and get fired. That's the way it is, isn't it? You know, when I first started coaching, it was just understood. You got five years, and they ain't gonna fire you. You got five years. They figure the first year you come in there, you're new. You're not you're not gonna be able to recruit well. The next year you'll be able to recruit well. Now, if you hadn't had a winner by this time, we got to get somebody else. So you're gonna get five years. You know. And then first thing you know, they were firing them after three. Next thing you know, they're firing them after two. One guy over in Southern Miss got fired his first year, you know. And so that all changed. And now, now Mark goes to Georgia and does a great job over there. Uh, but you didn't, Saban won a national championship. The coach at LSU won a national championship. How come you can't win a national championship? You know, and so he just, uh, he did a great job, but people are not satisfied. It's, That's one thing I find out. When you want, once, once, of course, they didn't win it, but when you win a national championship, they expect you to do it every year. Is Mark going to get Miami back on track? You know, I, I, I feel he will. I feel he will. Now, he's dealing with a different type of athlete down there, culture-wise, than he's probably been dealing with late at Georgia. And uh, but he's been through that system. He knows the people there. I'd be surprised if he don't do pretty doggone good. He's got Manny Diaz with him, you know. Mm -hmm. who I think he's a heck of a defensive coach. Used to be here working mm -hmm. with us. And uh, yeah, I, he used to be in the media, coach. How did he end up? A do you remember that? No. He he was the sports editor at the FS View when he went to school at FSU. Went up and worked at ESPN as an intern or something, and somewhere after that is when he got involved in football and became a GA with you. I'll be doggone. I know the guy he, that brought him along was Chuck Amata. Right. It was kind of his boy, you know. But I, I've been really proud of the job he's done. How long is uh, Terry going to keep at it? Well, Terry's at, uh, he, he went in, it, Terry got out of coaching for two years, and he got lost in the shuffle. You know, his records, ain't nobody got a better record than him. He goes to Auburn and, and undefeated wins, first year. Wins his first twenty games. Yes. He goes twenty 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 games. Takes them to bowls, but they had a, a little conflict down there, so he left. Now he was so disappointed he didn't want to coach anymore, so he went into broadcasting down there in Orlando, and then he got where he couldn't stand it not being in coaching. So to get back in it, he took a job at North Alabama, which is not one A football. Well, he went to the playoff every year he was there. Then he goes to Akron who hadn't won but one game every year for three years. You know, his first year he wins one, next year he wins five, next year he wins five. Last year he won eight and won a, the first bowl ever. I know, I'm flipping through channels looking at the blue field or whatever, yeah, and there's yeah, you sitting up in a box. You're right. <laughs> and I went up right through that. Exactly. And uh, so if, if he could just improve that record, I, I think that would set him up for something big. We're in this world in coaching where obviously the finances are a lot different than what they were for your tenure. But I was looking at the list, and uh, I don't know if it's Brian Kelly at Notre Dame or Nick Saban, but whoever's the current 
leader in active victories. I mean, it's it's two and a quarter. It's it's shy of two fifty. Yeah. I mean, we're in an era where nobody's going to come close to Joe Pa and you. And, I mean, Frank Beamer just retired. He was the winning active coach. That's right. He was next. You see anybody sticking around with the paydays they get to try and go after that? Or is it? No, I don't know. Gee whiz. Number one, coaches get paid so much now, they're the head coach, that they can retire easy. Or if you don't win, they're going to fire you, you know. And that keeps a lot of them moving. And uh, I, you don't see them sitting in there as long as Joe Paterno. Joe was there 60, I think, and I was out there 57, you know. And coaches just, I don't think they care that much about it anymore and don't have to because they have the financing, you know. And uh, so I, I don't know if, any, know if anybody's going to do it or not. Well, Coach, one of the things I thought that was most interesting, and, and it'll maybe start off in a negative but. You were a huge fan of Bear Bryant's. I was recruited by the Bear. One of oh, play yeah. quarterback. Uh-huh. Um, a couple, three days before signing day. Respawn guy. Yeah, well, a couple, three days before signing day, I found out that the year prior, they had signed this little quarterback named Stedman Sheely. Oh, boy. If I go to Alabama. From Houston. To play quarterback, <laughs> I'm not seeing the field. But Coach Bryant quits coaching, and then within two or three months, he's gone. Yeah. And while that's not a fear of yours, how has the transition been? Have, have, what, what motivates you now? What, what keeps you getting yeah. up early in the morning like you always did? Yeah, and you, still do. And I, you, I, you, you seem to be as engaged as at any time I've ever seen you. Well, you know, when you're the head football coach, you can't watch other people. You coach your team Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You play Saturday. Great to play on Sunday. Get ready for the next. You can't see what other, what, what's other people doing. You know what? Now what I do Saturday, 12 to 12. I'm sitting there on that couch in there, two televisions, watching every dead game I can watch. I just, I love it. I love it. I've really enjoyed retirement. Here's the thing is, Keith, I can tell you, and you, you're young enough, you probably hadn't thought about it that much, your daddy, daddy's out. As long as your health is good, it don't matter how you are. As long as your health is good. You know, I've seen people 50 years old that are, that are have had it. Then, then here I am, 87 years old, and trying to get to 90, you know? You know in four years I'll be 90? <laughs> I can't believe it, man. Never thought I'd be 85. Yeah, no, I think about that every time I pass you on the road when you're driving your car. <laughs> oh, boy, boy, boy. Well, Bobby would know 34 years at the helm, and uh, once you win one, and this is not unique to Florida State, but fans want another one. And, you know, we're, we're in this position right now that Jimbo's won one. Everyone um, does things relationally. So Jimbo hadn't won one. He gets one in 13. Now, now we got to get some more. And as has been the case, Coach Bowden talked about it, it, it is so much harder to stay on the mountaintop than it is to go up the mountain. No question. All right, uh, the final uh, segment of our interview with Bobby Bowden is coming up right after this on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back on the show and time to get right back to our interview with Coach Bobby Bowden. Coach, you're, you're joking about your age, and, uh, you know, another birthday comes up uh, later this fall, I think November 8th. Yeah. And I was looking at this, and you were born uh, in 1929. Right. 
Black Tuesday, Great Depression, was October 29th of that year, basically yeah. nine or ten days before yeah. you. I mean, so you grew up in the Depression. Sure there. did. Mm -hmm. How did that shape uh, how you, and I know there were, you know, you had some health issues in your early teens, but yeah. but, but what do you recall about that time frame and, and that era in America? Well, I, I, was, I was raised during the 30s, born in 29. Uh, the, the, all of that occurred up until 1939. And then the Second World, Second World War broke out. Well, you know, when wars break out, you make money because you have, to, have people get jobs and things like that. And so we came out of the Depression. But all I can remember about it being very simple, my dad was a banker. He couldn't have made much money now. He was a teller. He didn't own that bank. He was a teller. You know what? Mama stayed there at the house and worked. I had one sister. And uh, so we didn't have much as we look back. But you know what? We didn't know it. We didn't know it. You know, we was eating. We had clothes. Well, maybe they weren't as pretty as some of these other guys, but we had clothes, you know. And so we didn't realize it, you know. And then, uh, so then the war came along. Well, when the war ended, I was 15, so I, ne I did not go into service. But I, 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 was, I stayed in bed a year because I was sick. And all I did was listen to the radio. We didn't have television. My granddad was German, and he was living with us. And he and I would sit and listen to the news broadcast, you know. And uh, I can remember worrying about the Germans, afraid they was going to come over here, and things like that as I was growing up, you know. But uh, then, 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 the, then the, after the war, America went through a great period of, of, of financial independence, did, did real well, you know. And so I was lucky. I, I had six jobs in my 56 years, 57 years of coaching. I had six different jobs. I didn't apply for one of them. <laughs> I didn't apply for one of them. Now, I applied for some and didn't get them, you know. But they, they called me, we want you, we want you, we want you, we want you. And so the good Lord just took 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 care of me, you know. And uh, so I coached for 57 years, and it was time to get out. I, I wanted another year, but that's that, I shouldn't. I really was time to get out at my age. I was 80, you know. And uh, But since that time, I have really enjoyed life. Ann and I have been lucky enough to stay healthy. And uh, we've lost two grandchildren, but we got we got 21 grandchildren, got seven great grandchildren. You know, so we we've been very fortunate. You know, we've been blessed. Coach, that time you, and you've told the story. People that followed you will be familiar with it. But when when you were in bed and and not able to get around as a youngster, yeah, um, you became fascinated with mi all things military. Yeah, particularly yeah. the strategy and the uh, the uh, organization and the preparation. Yep. Uh, I can't help but think that served you well in your coaching career. Yeah, there's a lot of value in the military life that carries over into football. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of. I used to when I was coaching you guys, I read all these World War II books on Patton and all those guys, and uh, they would say something. I, I'd repeat it to y'all. Y'all thought it came from me. It came from Patton. You thought it always <laughs> came from that three by five little card you had in your pocket all the time. <laughs> Which military leader said, if they don't score, we win? Yeah. <laughs> Halftime speech. All of them. <laughs> All of them figured that out. <laughs> now, Coach, to take that to the extreme, two things that, that I've one, – one we've talked about, one we haven't. Um, but you you went back to Normandy yeah. on the – was it the 60th yeah. anniversary? Uh, 70th. 70th. 70th, yeah. Talk about what you felt, what you saw, what you felt. Okay. Now, uh, Keith, there's two documentaries – coming out on me right now. I don't know if you know about them. 
One of them is Bobby Bowden goes to war. So I go to Normandy. I go to Utah Beach. I go to Omaha Beach. I go to uh, a lot of the battlegrounds there and make a tape with these men who were fought there. They're 90, 90 91, two years old. You know, and we made film. Now, they, I hope that thing comes out next fall, but I don't know when because they're trying to make a series out of it. Now, there's another documentary on the dynasty. It's all on me and those great teams that we had through the years. 80, 87 to 2000. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, that's going to come out on January the 7th, the night before the national championship game down in St. Pete. They're going to try to – they say it's good. I can't, I can't picture anything I'm in being all that good. I can't – you know, but – Maybe somebody well, they didn't else. say it'd be pretty. Yeah. They just said it'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, those things, one of them will be out in January. The other one, I don't know when they'll come out. They have to find the people that uh, sponsor it and stuff like that. Now, another uh, that you and I have not talked about is you had occasion to have lunch in Germany with the son of a pretty prominent uh, German Dignitary. I you sure did. Tell, tell, real quickly, tell us that story. Well, during the war, Erwin Rommel was the hero of the German people. Uh, he was a field marshal. Hitler had made him a field marshal. Now, he didn't like Hitler, by the way. I mean, see, a lot of people don't understand, not all the Germans were Nazis. That's like not all the Americans belonged to the Republican Party. You know, and, and so, so he never got involved in all that stuff. But, he was, but I liked him because he was good to the prisoners. He was, he did, he's not one of those guys that tried to abuse prisoners of war. And he, and he all, I read his books. I've been, all been fascinated with Erwin Rommel. So anyway, I was invited over to Stuttgart. This has been about 10 years ago to make an award to the winner of the European Football League. They had football over at these different towns. What they call American football. Yeah, it's American football over there. England had a team and Germany had a team and France and Italy and they all had teams. And they wanted me to come over and present the trophy to the winner. So Tommy and I flew over there, and but I had told I said, look, I'll go over there if y'all will set me up a, a, a dinner with uh, Manfred Rommel, Rommel's son, because he's, he's mayor there. So they did. They set it up. So Tommy and I had dinner with Manfred Rommel, talked, drew pictures, had a good time. I talked about his dad. I knew more about his dad than he did. And, uh, and so now he died, by the way. He's gone. But uh, that, was a, that was a thrill to me. And you spent some time uh, earlier in your career at football clinics and that type of thing for service members yeah. over in oh, Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nearly every summer I would go to Europe to speak at a Air Force base. They used to have football teams on those bases. And they'd bring me over. Me and Hootie Ingram went. Hootie talked about the rules, and I talked about football. You know what? And uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Then, well, and it's amazing what they'd do. We'd go over there for three weeks. One week, you'd do clinics. Then they would pay you for two more weeks to do whatever you wanted to do. So we would travel all over. And I went to Germany. We went to France. We went to Italy. We went to Greece. We went to Jerusalem. We went to every t country over there, boy. Really, I really enjoyed it. One of your best lines came after one of those trips, too, because I think you relayed that you had actually uh, rented a, a Mercedes and gotten on the Autobahn, That's which right. does not have a speed limit. That's right. And I think some writer asked you why why you rented a Mercedes. You remember what your response was? No, I forgot. I wanted a car as nice as Dion's. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, I was going to segue back to, to some of the great athletes you've coached, like a Dion or a Charlie or Warwick or Derek Brooks or the yeah. list goes on. 
what's the one commonality characteristic that every great competitor athlete truly has? They have something down inside of them that's competitive. They can't stand it unless they can beat you, unless they can win. You know it? Now, some of them have more talent than others to do it with. Like Dion was unmatched. Dion and Bo Jackson are two of the best athletes I've ever seen on a football field and baseball field. You know what? And, uh, but they have that burning desire inside that, that uh, you, you're not going to beat me. I'm, I'll beat you. You know what? And, uh, boy, when you got somebody that's got that, then, you, boy, you can build around it. Now, Tommy, I, to be fair, our grandfather sitting to my left, your right, still has a little bit of that on a golf course occasionally. <laughs> A special thanks to uh, Bobby for letting us uh, invade his home for an hour or so. He was uh, as hospitable as uh, always, uh, same gentleman as always, as you could tell from that interview. Thank you once again, Bobby, and uh, maybe we'll make that uh, an annual uh, affair here on the front row uh, as long as Bobby's around, Lord willing, because uh, as you mentioned, I guess he turns 87 later on this year, 86, 87 in that time frame. So thank you to Coach Bowden. We'll come back and wrap up the front row right after this. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Thanks again for tuning in and to Coach Bowden, who literally just opens the door to his house. It's crazy to me that lives in the same house, find him in the phone book, same phone number, whole deal. We walked in. He'd been putzing around the house. He says, um, I need to go change clothes. I said, Coach, this is a radio interview. He said, I know, I know, but I need to put on some clothes. So he walks upstairs, comes back down. He's got on a pair of slacks, nice shirt, and a sport coat, and no shoes and no socks. But he was dressed up. He was. He was. <laughs> and it was still a radio interview. You know, he's had some uh, some health challenges in the last couple of months uh, that were documented and you're probably aware of. And just, you know, at, at age 87, you just never know, and we, we take him for granted. And uh, anyway, we appreciate his time. We uh, we hope to continue to do that on a pretty regular basis. Maybe once a year we can try to get together with uh, with Coach. And, and make uh, sure you catch his movie coming out uh, next month. That's right, uh, the Bowden Dynasty, uh, early January. All right, we're done. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week on The Front Row.